if you're not a mom and you're the husband of a good woman or you're the son of an amazing mom, can you join me in just standing and, and thanking our moms this morning for who they are? Come on. Moms are like, I'm going to stand and clap too. I don't know if it's the right time. It feels good. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for all that you do. We really do appreciate you. We really do recognize how incredible you are. I have, I have an incredible wife and uh, am so thankful for the mother that she is to my children. I often tell my wife, my, my, my wife will be like, it's Mother's Day. And I'm like, you're not my mom. And that doesn't go over so well. Um, after I wake up off the floor, she generally uh, explains to me why it's important. No, I, I, as a husband, man, that's the, that's the woman I chose to be the mother of my children. And she is an incredible, incredible mom to our kids. She loves us well, and I'm so grateful for her. And, uh, and so this morning, before you go, what we've done up here is we want you to have a cup of coffee, tea, or whatever on us. We've got you a coffee cup, and we've got a $5 gift card to either McDonald's or Tim Hortons in here for you. So it doesn't have to be used for coffee. It can be used for donuts, too. Hello. Uh, you can go, go ahead and use it for donuts, or you can get yourself a couple of McMuffins. We just wanted to give you a little bit, little something that, that we knew uh, you would use. I know a lot of churches give things like little trinkets and stuff like that. But uh, I want to give you something that you'll actually use. And don't use it on your kids. You do enough for them. Use it on yourself, okay? See, I figure I better say that. Get yourself a donut. Get yourself a bear claw. Get yourself an egg McMuffin. Your kids can sit in the back hungry for one day, okay? <laughs> so <laughs> They'll be all right. You ain't starving those babies. I appreciate our moms, and uh, I, I know this is stupid, but none of us would be here without you, and, uh, and so we do owe you literally our life, and, uh, and so take time, take time if you've, if you've got a mama that's still around to love on your mama today, and if you don't have a mama that's still around, but you got a wife that became a mama to your children, love on her. She needs it. Give her the day off. I give you permission, moms, take the day off. Put your feet up. And uh, boss your husbands around just a little bit, all right? Uh, yeah. ah, I feel like you got that backwards, brother. But at any rate, I want to get into today's word, and we're going to talk a little bit about being a mama, but not a whole lot. Uh, I want to get into today's word called This Is Us. We're talking about beliefs in here. And as we have developed as a church, we officially turned two months old. If we were a baby to a mom, we would be eight weeks. Uh, he's 46 months. What? That's like four years old. You need to start using years. Moms always talk in terms of months, but we are eight weeks old today, and we've been talking about who we are as a church. In the last several weeks, we talked about the atmosphere that we want to create, but today I want to go into beliefs. Uh, I believe it was A.W. Tozer that said this, what you believe about God is the most important thing about who you are. Let me say that again. What you believe about God is the most important thing about who you are. And we all have different thoughts, and we've many of us have come from different church backgrounds. I, I, I've often shared my church background. My, my, my grandpa was a free will Baptist minister for 40 years, and my family predominantly, if, they, if and when they go to church or the ones that do go to church, they go to a free will Baptist church. And I found my way into a Pentecostal church with my buddy Joe Majors, which is my, Roger and Melanie's son and stepson, about, oh my goodness, about 20 some odd years ago. And I, I came up in, I came up in a Baptist 
Baptist background, had a Pentecostal experience. I'm Baptocostal. And, and the joke never gets old. I will wring that sponge out for the rest of my life. But I have a lot of things that I believe about God, and we all really do have a lot of things that we believe or we think about God. We have formulated opinions. We have formulated doctrine of our own. We have come up with what we really believe God is and what we think God is. And this morning, I want to talk about some of those things about who God is. But I'm going to tell you this, what I believe about God, and I'm going to tell you, I think this should be true for you as well. What you believe about God should come out of this book. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you are a Christian, your beliefs should not be, let me tell you this, your beliefs, your deeply held doctrinal beliefs should not be opinion. They should be based on and founded in Scripture. And we've all heard the word doctrine before, indoctrination or, or having doctrine. We, we understand that doctrine is a deeply held belief, but doctrine should be established based off of repetitious teaching that comes out of this book. It doesn't just appear once in Scripture. It is a thematic element that moves all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and it repeats itself over and over and over, and that becomes our doctrine, and that becomes our belief. Now, I will say this. I believe that there are a lot of people that believe they have good doctrine, but they have some beliefs that really fall outside of that book. They're people who walk with Jesus, but some of the things that they believe or that they think really aren't found in this book. I'll give you two examples. Most of us in here know what happens when we die, uh, but some people believe that when you die, and we've referred to them this way, we believe that we become an angel, and we'll refer to somebody that's passed away as our guardian angel, or, or I'll see posts on Facebook that so-and-so got their wings today, uh, and that's all fun and well, uh, that somehow you think when we die that we fly, uh, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that we become angels. Angels. Did you know that? That we are not angels when we die. Actually, angels, if you read the book, uh, uh, if you read the book from cover to cover, you'll find that angels predated humans. Angels came before us. They are created beings. They are, they are warriors for God, messengers for God. They carry out the bidding of God and they, they work in the heavenlies and they work on earth. We've even entertained angels unaware is what scripture says. But we do not become angels. When you die, you are a saint of God and you enter into his kingdom as a child of the most high God. You don't become an angel. You are greater than angels. You are, you are ch a, a chosen people and you chose God and you become actually the child of God and joint heirs with Jesus. That's powerful. I don't want to take a demotion when I die. I want to go to heaven and be a child of the living God. That's what the Bible actually teaches. But there are people that have believed that we become angels when we die. It's not in the book. Cute thought. I wish I could fly. I believe. I, no, I can't. I'm not going to. I'm. Not, wow, never thought I'd sing his song in church. Uh, I don't. I, I, we're, you don't we're not going to. We're not going to do that. We're saints. That's what we are. An another thing that has worked its way into our belief system, and it's really just not true, uh, and, and I'm going to get into why we believe what we believe and what we believe, but we have all heard people say at the passing of a loved one, and, and some of you know when somebody's been a rascal their whole life. You know what I'm saying? You've had people in your life that's just been a rascal the whole time. 
And we'll say things like they're in a better place. Every single time we like to say that, they're in a better place. They're in a better place. They're in a better place. Unfortunately, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that every single human that passes from this life to the next has the words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joys of the kingdom. That isn't said to every single person that dies. In fact, the Bible teaches that if you fall out of relationship with God or you don't have a relationship with Jesus when you pass away, he will actually say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. What am I saying? That sometimes when people die, if they don't have an intact relationship with Jesus, when they pass from this life to the next, they are not in a better place. They're in a worse place. They're in a place that Jesus talked about twice as much as he talked about heaven. Do you know that? Jesus talked about hell twice as much as he talked about heaven. Why? Because it's very easy to convince somebody that heaven is good and heaven is fantastic and that's where we want to go. But Jesus, just like a parent, spent more time on his warning of what he wanted you to miss than the heaven that you had to gain. And Jesus would talk about hell over and over and over. He painted word pictures that let us know that that place is a place you don't want to go. He would say things like, they'll be cast into outer darkness. Well, they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth and the worm dieth not. It was a place that nobody wants to go. He called it a lake of fire. But Jesus taught that over and over and over and over. And he wanted people to understand that get to get to eternity with God, there is but one prerequisite. There's only one prerequisite. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. You have to have an intact personal relationship with Jesus in order to enter into the kingdom as a saint of God and a child of God. That's all there is. It's not works. It's not how good you are. It's not how perfect you lived. It's all about that accomplished work on the cross. And if you have that intact relationship with Jesus, guess what? The escalator is going up for you. The elevator is going straight to the top. And that's what it takes to enter into eternity with God. But there's two beliefs right there. And I could go on and on about things that we believe. And we believe that they're in the Bible, but they're not in the Bible. And this morning, I just want to share, if we're going to walk with Jesus, if we're going to walk according to the word of God, we have to know the word of God. Amen? Come on now. Let's not, let's not have it be rainy and dreary in here. I like class participation. Everybody say Amen. amen. What we believe about God is the most important thing about who we are. Now, I will, I will say this. Most doctrine that starts in almost all Christian churches, and I know doctrine can be unfun, but most doctrine that starts in Christian churches, when we talk about Jesus, we talk about the road to redemption, we talk about salvation, most Christian doctrine hangs its hat on this, that we live in a fallen state of humanity. How many people have heard somebody say we live in a fallen world? How many people have heard uh, the, the concept of original sin? You've heard the words original sin. Okay, we're going to teach on that for just a quick second. The concept of original sin means that Adam's sin was imputed to us. Everybody say imputed. 
I'm all about college words, and I'm going to teach you one today. Imputed means that when Adam sinned and Adam and Eve sinned, that his sin was imputed to all of humanity. Imputed means we get the credit for something somebody else did. And it's not good credit. That actually when Adam and Eve sinned, that sin nature entered into humanity, and all people, whether they're a newborn or whether they are 100 years old, all people because of the sin of Adam and Eve all have sinful nature alive on the inside of them, and we live in a fallen world because of it. God promised Adam and Eve that if you eat the tree, or you, if you eat the fruit of this tree, you will surely die. Sin entered when they did what was disobedient to God, and he said, you will die because of it. Romans says that the wages of sin is death, okay? So we all essentially die. We all essentially have a mortality problem because the Bible says that sin was imputed to us through Adam and through Eve, meaning we get credit for what they did, and now sin nature is alive on the inside of us. I'm going over everybody's head, but we're going to bring it down real low here this morning, all right? I want to let you know that's a hard pill to swallow because most of us in here don't like the idea of being guilty for something somebody else did. In fact, blame is something, even if we did do something wrong, blame is something we like to cast on other people. Far from us receiving the blame for something uh, somebody else did, we would rather other people get blamed for stuff we did, right? We start there as a kid. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Uh, my brother did it. You need, to, you need to go spank him. I didn't do that, mom. We, we will blame. Or, or who gave you that idea? Well, I don't know. Your, uh, your other child gave me that idea, and we broke that because it was your other child's idea, and you need to punish your other child. In fact, Adam even did it with Eve. Eve ate the fruit, and Eve, Eve took it to Adam. She tempted Adam. Adam ate the fruit, did, was disobedient to God. God comes down and says, what have you done? And Adam immediately goes, God, the woman that you gave me made me eat this fruit. Translation, she was pretty and I'm stupid. <laughs> Mama said, <laughs> Mama said, eat this fruit. And I said, okay. And, and, and we would rather blame and so this idea of imputed sin, us getting the blame for something somebody else did, that's a hard thing for us. Well, pastor, you're saying when a baby is born, it has a sinful nature? That a baby born into this earth is pure and as wholesome as that baby is, that that baby has a sinful nature? I, I'll argue with people sometimes when they justify their anger or their alcoholism by using the words, that's just who I am or that's just how my family is. I will always argue that specific problems can be addressed, but I will not argue that we are born with a sinful nature. David said this in the book of Psalms, verses 51, 3 through 6, and some of this will be up on the screen. He is crying out to God. He says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me of my sin. In other words, wash me from all of my failures and all the times I've missed the mark. Wash me from that. For I know my transgressions, which is sin, and my sin is always before me. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. He says this in verse five. Surely I was sinful at birth. Everybody say birth. birth. 
I was sinful at birth. How in the world can that be? He said, I was sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet, you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. That seems very, very odd that a man who is after the very heart of God has this recognition. Now, David failed a lot, and he failed epically and repetitiously. When I say he failed epically, he literally had an affair with a married woman, called her husband back in from battle because she got pregnant, had her husband killed so that he could make the pregnancy look legit. David sinned, and when he sinned, he sinned well. And if you didn't sin and have fun in your sin, you didn't do it right because the Bible says sin is fun for a season. If you sin right, you had fun. But the problem is it causes problems down the line. David becomes an adulterer, a murderer, and he recognizes there's a nature alive on the inside of me that was alive the moment my mother conceived me. I was sinful at birth. I was sinful the moment that she conceived me. Now, many struggle with that concept, moms especially. There's no way this precious little baby could possibly be sinful. There's no way this little bundle of joy could possibly have sin in its life. There's no way that this little bundle of joy is anything but perfect. Even though it poops its pants and it stays up all night, it's the most perfect, precious little thing on planet Earth. How can a child be sinful? And that's a hard pill to swallow, that idea of imputed sin, that, that original sin. And is it fair that a child could be punished as a sinner? We have struggled with theological questions regarding that a whole lot because we want to believe that if a child passes from this life to the next, that they go straight to heaven with God. It just got uncomfortable in here. The Bible doesn't use the words original sin, so how can the doctrine of original sin be true? Those are some tough questions. Can a child be sinful? Is it fair that a child could be punished as a sinner? And if the Bible doesn't use the words original sin, how can that be doctrine? Well, thanks for asking those questions. I'm glad you asked. Those are really good questions. I want to deal with the scary elephant in the room because it's Mother's Day and mamas are going, my baby's got to go to heaven. I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor. I will tell you this. If your child dies before what we call the age of accountability, and that is a sort of doctrine inside of the church as well, and it's words that aren't found anywhere in Scripture, but it's understanding God within the context of the full work of Scripture and who he is. I want to release you of that scary elephant in the room. If your baby passes away, if your child passes away before they hit that age of accountability, they do go straight into eternity with Jesus and they go straight to heaven. Why do I believe that? 2 Samuel chapter 12 verses 22 through 23, David has had a sin problem. He has cheated with a woman named Bathsheba. She has conceived a child. He has had Uriah, her husband, pulled in off the front lines of battle. He has had Uriah then go back out to battle, put him back into the front lines, had him killed so that this, this pregnancy looks legitimate. And the prophet Nathan has come in to David at this point, and he said, what you have done has not been hidden from the eyes of God. You, God has seen your sin, and the child that she has conceived is going to die. That's what Uriah or Nathan says to David. 
And this is what David says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 22 through 23. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and I wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. Now listen to these words. But now that he is dead, why should I continue to fast? Can I bring him back again? This is what he says. I will go to him, but he will not return to me. In essence, what was David saying? This child has passed away and I'm gonna go to heaven. That child's not coming back to me. I'm gonna go to heaven to be where that child's at. He is acknowledging that there is this grace and this mercy that God understands inside of a child. And Jesus even said it. He said, truly, I said, in Matthew 18, he said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest of the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. I don't know if you believe that the death penalty is scriptural, but Jesus just said, if you hurt a child, it is better that you die. Jesus said that. What is Jesus getting at? He said, our faith has to become childlike in order for us to enter into the kingdom. David said, I'm going to go to him. He's not going to come back to me. What is the point of that? The point of that is even though sinful nature is alive inside of a child, when a child goes from this life to the next, they go to heaven, they go to eternity. In Jewish culture, it's 13. Bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah happen at 13 years old. They believe that's when a child becomes able to accept and make uh, choices of their own. So mama's on Mother's Day. Everybody just breathe in. Let's do it together. However, mamas, I don't believe we would argue that there is sinful nature alive on the inside of our children. Let me ask you this. Did you teach your kids to bite? Did you? How many people by show of hands in here have ever been bitten by a child that is, that is getting its teeth? Those things pierce through the rawhide. They, they could chew through a bone. Did you teach your child that when conflict arises, it's okay to just clamp down and not let go like a pit bull? No, you did not. You didn't have to teach your child to bite. Your child just knows to bite. Let me ask you this. Did you, did you teach your kids to rip toys out of the hands of other children and then hit the other kids with said toy? Did you teach them that? Hey, when you got that toy in your hand, if they try to take it from you, you smack them on the head with it. Did you teach that to them? No, you did not teach that to them. And at two years old, you could see that start to develop. You didn't teach it to them. You would never teach your kids that. In fact, when your kids act like that, you hide and try to act like they're, your, they're not your kids. That's somebody else's kids. I don't even know you. Did you teach your kids to fight with one another? Two, three years old, they start pounding each other in the face, especially if you got boys. You might have girls that fight. My girls fight like cats and dogs. My daughter's seven. I tell her all the time, quit picking on your big sister. <laughs> Did you teach your kids to fight? No, we try to stop it. Did you teach your kids to have a five-alarm meltdown when you won't buy them a pack of nerds at Walmart? at three years old. Did you teach them to go crazy when you won't buy Skittles or Starburst? No, you did not. We have all seen the parents struggling and looking around going, I don't know what to do. Somebody please help. This kid's going crazy. Sin nature. Sin nature is alive. Oh, and when that precious little bundle of joy learns words. <laughs> they run out of juice. They'll yell juice at you like you are their maid. Juice! 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 
And you're like, I don't, I don't exist to just serve you. Juice! And oh, oh, the parroting. Not parenting, parroting. You see how good you're not when your kids start saying things that you say, and you're like, that doesn't sound as good coming out of a three-year-old as it did coming out of me. I had a lady in our church, God rest her soul, she passed away, but she taught my, my little Peyton about three years old, she taught, her, she taught her a cuss word. I took my little three-year-old in, I said, you want to hear a new word that Peyton learned from you the other day? I said, go ahead and say it, baby. <gasps> I'm sorry. <laughs> Kids could hear a thousand words for whatever reason, those are the ones that stick in the crawl, aren't they? And you're sitting there as a parent going, oh, I would never. And, 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 and I always worry as the pastor. I'm like, what's my kids going to say in Sunday school? I don't know what they're going to say in Sunday school. God, please just let them say good stuff in Sunday school because I'm, I'm not perfect all the time. Things happen in our house. There's a TV in our house. Things get said that I don't endorse. My wife sometimes gets angry. I get angry sometimes. We have an argument. Please just let them talk normal in Sunday school. Please just let them talk. Please, of all the good things they picked up, please let that be what comes out in Sunday school. I would submit to you, you didn't teach your kids to do any of these things. In fact, the Bible says to train up your child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. We start at a very young age trying to root these things out of our kids. We take on the role of God in their life. That's what God's trying to do with us, trying to root out sin from our life. We do that with our kid. No, baby, you can't hit them with that toy. No, baby, you can't have it. That's, I get you got a pile of toys over here, but they deserve to have one. It's called sharing. Sharing is caring. Let's, let's practice sharing. No, you cannot bite. Yes, you can bite, but you cannot bite people. You need to use those teeth for food. That's all you use teeth for. You use, you, I started telling my kids, you can do this right now, but when you get older, you're going to jail. That's how I started raising my kids. You can do that right now, but you can't do that later. You're going to go to jail. I've said those words. She knows I've said those words to my seven-year-old. You'll go to jail if you just hit people whenever you want to hit people. Why? We start trying to root this stuff out because we recognize there's a sinful nature that we did not teach inside of our kids. Not sharing. Not sharing is, let's be honest, when a kid lacks the ability to share, what you are seeing start to surface in their nature is selfishness. You didn't teach it. It's just there. When you see a kid start biting, what is starting to surface is we handle our conflict with violence. It starts to surface. You root it out. When your kid has a meltdown over unpurchased candy, what is, the, what is surfacing? It's what the Bible would call covetousness, wanting something that's not yours or wanting to take it from other people. And we start to root those things out. Mamas would never argue and papas would never argue. We want our babies to not be held responsible for their sin until they consciously make those choices. And that's what we talk about with the age of accountability is this idea that God doesn't hold us responsible for the choices that we did not make. It's just a part of our nature. But there becomes a point in time where it becomes our problem. Listen, we all, all, everybody say all. We all have a sinful nature. All of us, just like David said, it is on the inside of us to sometimes make the wrong choices. When left to our own devices, we just are not always going to get it Right. Can I get a hearty amen? amen? 
We're not always going to get it right. Sometimes we're going to get it very, very wrong. Sometimes we're going to repetitiously get it wrong. We make wrong choices often, often. Now, some of us in here, as we become adults, we start to think, man, why do I struggle with this? Nobody else possibly struggles with what I struggle with. Why do I think this way? Why do I act this way? Why can't I quit doing that? And we will convince ourselves that our sin or our problem is unique, that there's nobody else that's as bad as we are, that nobody else has ever struggled the way that we've struggled, that nobody else has ever been broken the way that we've been broken. But, but the Bible teaches that we all have a sinful nature. I find that, I don't know about you, but I find that very liberating. The reason I find that very liberating is you need to hear this person that struggled for a while, or you need to hear this person that's not over what you started having problems with. You need to hear this person that's been on this journey for quite some time and is not as perfect as you think you should be. We all start in the same place. All of us do. That's why I constantly remind churches that I pastor, don't forget where God brought you from. It's one of the most repugnant things that a Christian can do is forget where God brought them from and make it difficult for somebody else to find an on-ramp to Jesus. We do that sometimes. We have this holier-than-thou mentality or I'm better than you mentality. Listen, I said it last week, and, and I mean it with all my heart. I need to come here every week, not because I'm better than you, but in some ways I was worse than you. And for me, this place and that word, it's like life to my bones. It is good for me to come into God's house. It is good for me to fellowship with other people who are struggling forward. It is, it is good for me to be with other people who have had a sinful nature, but they are contending for their faith. It is easier to walk this thing out when we walk it together. It's very liberating to know that we all start in the same place. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam... And see, Adam blames Eve, but Paul in the book of Romans blames Adam. It enters through one man and death through sin. In this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Everybody say all. If you don't believe that sin nature or that original sin is a true doctrine, what you're essentially believing is that we are not born into this world in a sinful way, and that, listen, the wages of sin is death. If we don't have a sinful nature, don't you think in 2,000 years since Jesus came to the earth that somebody would have beat the odds and got out of this life without sinning? Which means this, if they didn't have a sinful nature and they never sinned, they can't die according to the teaching of scripture. They can't die because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you never sin, it's sin that produces death in our life. Over and over and over, Old Testament, New Testament, it teaches that sin produces death. If you get out of this life because you don't have a nature of sin and you never sin, there should be somebody that is ridiculously old that beat the odds walking on planet Earth right now because they never sinned and so they've never died. And, and we might know some people that we think, well, they must have never sinned because they're super duper old. But they would literally be thousands of years old because they never sinned. Nobody has ever beat the odds. 
ever except for Jesus. Nobody has ever got through this life without sinning, not because they are bad people, because it is in the DNA of who we are to make poor choices. All of us are here and recognize there is some brokenness in our past. There are some mistakes behind us. We all sin. My kids sin. My wife sins. I sin. Your kids sin. We all have a sin problem. And for some people, that is hard to swallow, but there's some liberation in knowing that we are all on this boat together, and if we find our way to the cross, we find the solution together. We all have a sinful nature. Now, here's the deal. We talked about that idea, and I'm almost done. We talked about that idea of, uh, of a child being able to get into eternity because they are not held accountable. Listen, with more revelation, hear me. With more revelation comes more accountability. The more you know, the more accountable you are held. The more you teach, the more you're held accountable for what you teach and how you live. But sin becomes, this is number two, sin becomes our problem when it becomes personal. You have willfully made the choice to reject God or you've willfully made the choice to reject that still small voice that says, don't do that. Or do that. Because sin can actually be things we do. It can be things that we don't do. The Bible says that he that knows to do right and does it not unto him, it is sin. There are times where God says, be a blessing to somebody, give to somebody, help somebody, help, help that person, uh, change that tire. And we don't do it. And it's not that we've actually done something that's awful. It's that we haven't done something that was good when God told us to. So he that knows to do good and does it not unto him, it is sin. But sin becomes our problem when it becomes a personal choice. Sometimes we do things that we didn't choose to do when we're small, but as an adult, we make choices sometimes. We have that drink that takes us to that place of stupidness. We have that, that, that drug in front of us. We have that thing on that computer screen. We say that thing in, in, in the fight that we shouldn't say that takes that fight too far. We say that nasty thing to our spouse when, when really God has told us to, 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 to give kind words and, and that that will turn away the wrath of somebody. And, and instead we go ahead and we say that zinger and we win that fight and we win that fight, but we start slowly losing the war. We say things and do things that we make personal choices to walk through that still small voice, ignore it, and when we do, that sin becomes a personal problem for us. Meaning, when you know to have done right and you don't do it, you are now accountable before God for what you did. Meaning, if you stand in eternity before Jesus and that sin is not washed in the blood of Christ, or you are not washed in the blood of Christ is the way I should say it. You don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. That sin becomes your problem. Sin is a real problem. Romans 3, 21 through 24 says, but now apart from the law of righteousness of God, God has been made, made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are, listen, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by 
Christ Jesus. Julian, I'm going to have you come, if you would, just this service. All of sin, it becomes our problem when it becomes personal. 1 John 3, 3, 4 says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Understand this. Whose law are we breaking? We're breaking the law of God. And it might not be the Old Testament law. It's the law that's written on our hearts. We know that God has given us the idea of right and wrong on the inside of us. Because we don't teach that either, do we? We can see the evidence of God in our little child just as much as we can see the evidence of the sin nature. We can see that we're made fearfully and wonderfully in the image of God because there are things that we don't teach to our kids either, but they start kissing us. They start hugging us. They start smiling at us. They do things that show that God's alive on the inside of them as well, just as much as that sin nature is there. But when we sin, we actually break this law of God. We, we commit this lawlessness and this sin, this sin, this missing of the mark, it becomes our personal problem. When Adam sinned, it became a part of our DNA. And for anybody that's ever been around a kid, you can see it. You can see it. You can watch it. You can see that there are just those moments where they're going to make that wrong choice. They're going to do that thing that you didn't teach them. They're going to say that thing, that word that you didn't teach them. They're going to bite. They're going to hit. They're going to scream. They're going to kick. They're going to yell. They're going to do those things. And you as a parent are going to root that out of them because you want them to be respectable human beings, contributing members of society. And I will say this, God is speaking to the heart of man and he's trying to get us to do the same thing. He's trying to root out the things that he knows hurts us and hurts others. And sometimes as adults, we're so resistant to God. We'll teach kids and God is trying to show us, I'm giving you the image of what I'm trying to do. I am showing you as you're rearing and raising your kids, this is what I'm trying to do with you as a father. And we'll become resistant and go, well, I don't have any problems or I'm not ready to serve God. And God's saying, listen, I don't want your sin to be your problem. Just like we as parents don't want our kids to often suffer the consequences. We want to protect them. We want to shield them. We want good things for them. We don't want them to be hurt. And so we teach them, if you do this, it's going to lead to suffering and pain. It's going to lead to hurt in your life. And we don't want that for you. God is trying to get our attention and say the same thing to us. I don't want your sin to be your problem. I don't want it to be your problem. Man will... We'll let people talk about God and we'll let people form their own opinions on who God is. If God's a really a loving God, why is all this happening in the world? And God's a really loving God. Why in the world would he allow children to die? Why would he allow starving on planet earth? Why would he allow plagues, pestilence, and famine? You need to understand this about God. God doesn't want your sin to be your problem. He does not. We make that choice to keep it our problem. We do. And some of us keep making that choice every single day to keep our sin being our problem, our burden to carry. When sin becomes personal, it becomes our problem for the wages of sin is death. But what's the reality of what this teaches? Because remember, what you believe about God is the most important thing about who you are. And where do you formulate and fashion your doctrine and beliefs from? It should come from this book. If what you believe about Jesus doesn't come out of this book, where did you get it? What Jesus said about himself is God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
He's in a conversation with Nicodemus about being born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but would have everlasting life. Jesus would also utter the words, it's the will of the Father that none should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which is lost, that he will forgive us of a multitude of sins and that that imputed sin, that sin that enters our nature from Adam, do you understand that Jesus came to undo imputed sin by giving us what now is called imputed righteousness, right standing with God, a performance on planet earth that you could never accomplish on your own. When you accept Jesus and when you walk with Jesus, what ends up happening is you have imputed sin nature in your life, but that imputed sin nature becomes actual sin that we commit because we can't get through this life without failing. We fail. We fail. And that failure becomes personal. We could never get through this life and be sinless and be an atoning sacrifice for our sin. So Jesus leaves all that heaven has to offer and becomes God in the flesh. He walks among us. He lives. He breathes. He moves. He does ministry. He heals people. And ultimately, he dies for our sins as a sacrifice for our sins. Every sin punishable by death. What we justly and rightly deserve is that we pay for our sins. Jesus says, I don't want that for people. I want to have relationship with them. I want them to not be responsible and guilty for their own sin. I don't want them to get into eternity and be separate from me. I'll go and do for them what they cannot do on their own. They don't have it in them to be sinless. I'll go do it for them. And when you accept Jesus, that righteousness, that right standing with God, it gets imputed into your life. And though your sins be as scarlet, the Bible says he has made them whiter than snow. He washes us in this sacrifice that Jesus made. And we get the credit as Jesus was hanging on the cross, the father looks down and he sees your sin. And when you accept Jesus and God looks down at you, he sees Jesus. When he's hanging on the cross, he sees your sin. But when he looks down on the life of a believer, he sees Jesus. He sees the blood. He sees forgiven. Passover. See, sin becomes our problem when it becomes personal. But Jesus becomes our solution when it becomes personal. Jesus becomes our solution when it becomes personal. Our sin does not have to be our problem. Our sin does not have to be final. Our brokenness does not have to be the state of humanity that lasts forever. We are able to walk with God. Well, pastor, I I, I believe in Jesus, but I I just don't know how I'm going to live this thing out. Listen to me. The Bible also teaches that when you accept Christ into your heart, the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence on the inside of you meaning that the spirit of the living God empowers you to walk this thing out. Are you going to be perfect? Yes, when God looks down at you, he's going to see the perfection of a son. Are you going to continue to make mistakes? Yup, yup. Babies grow, don't they? You start rooting things out. They start, they start to walk. They start to grab at things. They start to tumble. They start to, they start to learn to do things that they weren't able to do before, and you continue to teach as a parent, don't you? And then your kids get, get, get a little bit older and you start teaching them other things. You start teaching them how to read and how to write and how to, how to interact with other people. They get older and, and, and they get into relationships and, and, and they, they get a boyfriend and, and you teach them, you teach them how, how they're to walk with God through that stage of life. And, and, and most parents know this. It doesn't matter if your kid is 15, 
40, 30, 27, or 72. They never stop being your kid. You never stop being their parent. And if you see something that you're going to that you're going to correct or something that you don't like, you're going to say something. If you see something good, you're going to say, good job, I'm proud of you. God does the same thing with us even after we accept him. He recognizes that where you start today is not going to be where you finish down the road. He is faithful to see through to completion the work that he starts on the inside of you. And so God continues to move and form and fashion us into his image. Why? Because he's a good, good father and he loves us. And somebody needs to hear today that he never gives up on you. Just like mama, just like papa, you would never give up on your kid, ever. God is trying in real time, in real life, with real life imagery, he's trying to get us to understand how he feels about us. And the way that he feels about us, it is magnified compared to how you feel about your kid. So be liberated today. We all start in the same place. We all end up at the same place, at the foot of the cross, in need of a Savior, a willing participant in the salvation of Jesus, but at the foot of a loving Father who gracefully and mercifully washes our sins away from us, picks us up from the spot that we're in, dusts us off, starts us over, and is not willing to just do it one time, but does it over and any of you that have walked with Jesus for a long time, you know what I'm talking about. He does it over and over and over and over. Why? Because he's better to us than we deserve. Amen. Let's stand to our feet today. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that the message of original sin is actually a message of the redemption story. We don't have to stay this way. Our sin doesn't have to continue to be our problem. Our sin does not have to be something that we carry around our entire life. It doesn't have to be our baggage. It doesn't have to be our luggage. It doesn't have to be our burden. God, what it can be is it can be cast upon you. And Father, what you give to us is that imputed righteousness, that righteousness that we did not earn, that reward that we do not deserve. You're better to us better to us than we deserve with every head bowed every eye closed somebody needed to hear this message today you needed to hear that we all start in the same spot your sin is not unique it hasn't caught him off guard and it certainly hasn't knocked him off of his throne today you need to hear that God loves you that he is wild and crazy about you he couldn't love you anymore. He loved you so much he gave his life up for you and he would do it all over again. And again, and again, and again because he cares for you. If you say, you know what, Pastor Aaron, I, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know exactly how well I'm gonna walk this thing out. But I know that I'm not right with God right now, but I also have listened to this message. I've, I've seen it backed up with scripture and I believe that if I give my life to Jesus or if I pray this prayer, I believe that I can leave this place ready to enter into eternity with him. I can leave forgiven. I may not be perfect. I may still mess up this week. That's all right. We're, we're in this with, together. We're in this with you. If you'd say, you know what, Pastor and I want to start a relationship with Jesus or I want to restart a relationship with Jesus. Maybe in your, you're in that second or third imagination of your walk with God and you need to know today that God is still here. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. He's meeting you right here today. 
I want this to be a very personal moment just between you and the Lord. It's not important that anybody else know this today. It's important that you know this today. So on the count of three, I'm gonna have you raise your hand and say, Pastor, I just wanna pray today. We're gonna pray and I'm gonna let you go. But I'm gonna believe that God is gonna meet you right in your seat, right in your seat. He can meet you in your car. He can meet you in an altar. He can meet you in your seat. He's gonna meet you right where you're at today. With every head bowed, every eye closed. One, two, three. If that describes you, put your hand up and say, that's me, I see that. I see that. Anybody else today that say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not where I want to be, but I need to be, I need to be right with the Lord today. I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave this place not right with the Lord. Anybody else this morning? Let's pray this together today. Dear Jesus, come on, everybody together. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you did for me. God, I recognize that I am not perfect. I recognize that I mess up. Everybody around me in this room does. But I also recognize that you do love me and you care about me and you gave your life for me. And today, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. I give you all of me, all of my brokenness, all of my sin, and all of my shame. And in return, I thank you for the right standing that comes with it, that I can have eternity in heaven with you. Thank you, Lord, for being my Savior and my friend. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for my friends. Thank you for what you're doing in their life. Thank you, God, that you're speaking to our hearts, you're speaking to our minds, you're changing us from the inside out. I pray today, Lord, that you would be honored above all that we say and do. I pray, God, that our moms would know how special, how important they are. I pray that they would sense and feel your presence all day long. And I pray, God, that we would walk out of this place in determination to walk with you and in right relationship with people. Help us to be salt and light, a city that's set upon a hill that cannot be hidden. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.